So what am I doing exactly? Like, all right. Well, uh, what I do is I record the intro and outro later. Okay. Uh, just because it's easier. All right. Um, do you have music? I do. I stole a 15 second clip from Back to the Future. Well, maybe I'll just have like my kids record a. You're listening to Just Say Rad. The name may change. Okay. So. Uh, all right, so I mean, look, I'll give I'll give uh, the intro a try. So I'm here with Norm Wilner, my colleague at Now Magazine, also uh, my senior and mentor at Now Magazine. Oh my god! It's <laughs> like, hey, look, it's true. I mean, there's a reason why this is my very first podcast. This is like the first time I'm ever trying anything like this. I mean, I don't know, like you are, literally just showed me how to mic up. I just bought a mic for this, and you just walked me through these steps. It's a better and, mic than I have. Well, is it? I don't know. <laughs> but like, um, and the reason I'm coming to you first, especially, is because you already know how to podcast. So you're walking me through this. So <laughs> yeah, uh, and it, it's exactly how it worked with me. You learn by doing. Uh, mm. My first episode of of my podcast, someone else's movie. Mm. Uh, Jesus, three years ago now. Yeah. Um, first episode went out in March but I think the first one I did would have been right around this time like mid-January uh Uh, and my first episode was with Ann Donahue who was kind enough to just take a flyer and come to the house play with the dog and then talk about American Hustle for an hour yeah and that episode has I think four cuts in the editing and it took me six hours because Audacity uh has a horrifying learning curve what hold on so I have to spend that much time editing this shit oh god I hope not yeah, okay, so... Uh, right. No, hopefully you won't. Um, right. I, I think it's easier. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's easier for younger people. Uh, yeah, well, no, it's it's um, it's a learning curve, but now it takes me no time at all. It takes me roughly five or ten minutes longer than the episode ends up being. Okay. And it's become a pleasure. It's actually really fun now because you learn how to make the editing software work for you. Mm. Uh, you can steal somebody's breath. You can... You can pull out the ums and the ahs. You can add ums and ahs if you don't like someone, which I've never done, but there have been days when it's like, oh, I could make this person sound really stupid. Yeah. Uh, you become a god. I feel like I'm going to become RZA. Because, you know, like, <laughs> when, you know, what he's producing... You, well, yeah, like, one thing he likes to do in a lot of... He likes to leave the, the breaths in and like, so you can hear them catching their breath and shit like yeah. that. So it's like, I like that stuff. The Shaolin and the Wu-Tang could be dangerous. So what I did want to talk to you about now is the Oscars. Sure. Where, we're following up, uh, so the nominations were what two days ago. You're just gonna boast about how many more screeners of those you got because you're no, so no, not at all. I mean, I no, my thing. I people can... will love you more. <laughs> no, but so look, you were where were you when you were watching the Oscar nominations? Uh, I was here. I was. I was oh, you were trying here. to keep up with a laptop because yeah. I remember like I was in the studio and I was getting me. I guess we were watch, obviously watching it at the same time, mm-hmm. and I'm getting your tweet. It's like, oh, Rad's. Getting pissed off, Phantom Thread didn't get cinema. Right. Was it cinematography? No, it was costume or production design. Production. Oh, yeah, yeah. Got Produc- costume design, but not production design. Yeah. I could see you because that would have been the first one as they were doing the announcements that you were sure it would be there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it wasn't. And I could just see you twitching with one eye. Because, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, I don't, I don't like the film as much as you do. Right. I, I think it's fine. Mm-hmm. But I was sure that would be like well, the technical nominations. Even me. I mean, well, first of all, because now I guess we should pre- preface this by saying Paul Thomas Anderson is my favorite filmmaker working mm-hmm. today. I mean, The Master and Inherent Vice are my favorite movies of the 21st century and Phantom Thread, I think, is right up there okay. alongside those movies. And But at the same time, I did not expect any real Oscar nominations for that movie. Oh, really? Right. No, I mean, like, I expected the production design. I expected the costume. Oh, I expected so Daniel Day-Lewis. You figured it would get technical, but not... Yeah, I figured okay. it would get those, like, those mini-prizes where it was so obvious that this was one of the best, like, costume movies or, you know, where they can't deny. And it's Daniel Day-Lewis. You're not going to not give Daniel Day-Lewis well, Especially uh, for what may be his final role, Exactly. Right? Like, it's a whole thing. Plus, if he wins, it's a record. Right. That, that he's already set. He's currently the one with the most acting known. Lead actor. wins, yeah. right? Because um, Jack story? Nicholson has like uh, a support. He has three Oscar, uh, acting wins, oh, I think, but one of them is a supporting. Oh, or one or two right. of them yeah. are supporting. Yeah. Gets and Cuckoo's Nest are lead, and then supporting is... Terms of Endearment. That's right. Yeah, so... so yeah, so... But he has the record for best, like, three lead acting awards, right? right? But if... No, no, that's true, because if Denzel Washington wins, which I don't think he will, no. it would be three as well, but yeah. it wouldn't tie... Day Lewis, because one of those was supporting. Exactly. Uh, Glory, okay. Yeah. So, uh, but so, I mean, yeah. So he'll win. So he. Can you think it. Daniel Day Lewis will win? Fourth one. But, it's a chance to set a record. It's a chance for them to say goodbye. You know how hard that Gary Oldman shit they're working <sighs> him. Like I swear, Norm. I wonder. Every week, 
I'm getting an invitation to a party with Gary Oldman because I'm part of the, the you phobia should go. shit. Oh yeah, great. but in LA, no, but you know what I mean. Like, no, but I mean that's how hard they are pushing Gary Oldman. And this is now the same company, Focus Features, that is representing both Phantom Thread and Darkest Hour. Mm-hmm. And every week I'm getting something about, hey, Gary Oldman's gonna be at this little thing with the party. Phantom Thread? I didn't even get a goddamn screener. Yeah, no, you. <laughs> you know, and like I, I didn't sure get like. Would send, I was sure that's how it won. I figured they no. would have carpet bombed with screeners, but maybe it just wasn't finished in time. I know. I mean, I think that. I mean, I think I initially went off and like, oh, you guys are not invested in this movie, and you're just focusing on Darkest Hour. But then I realized, well, maybe it was submitted near the end, and then maybe they just didn't have the time to send it to critics. But they, because I do know some people in the, who are DGA right. members who got the screener. Well, I'm sure. And I think they, Barry yeah. Jenkins had a screener. I saw him tweeting about it. Oh, that's right. It was his... a second viewing, right? Like yeah. he talked about the differences with the second viewing on the smaller, yeah, like, or more intimate scale or something. Yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, but yes, that's why I don't know what, I mean, Daniel Day-Lewis already has his three Oscars and Gary Oldman really wants his Oscar or the studio really wants his Oscar for him, whatever it is. Was he, he's, he was nominated for Tinker Taylor, right? Yeah. This isn't his I think that's his only nomination. Right. But that's right. It came late. He hadn't been nominated for a bunch of the other stuff. Yeah. And honestly, the moment in Darkest Hour where he flips the V backwards, (laughs) where he flips off the camera because he doesn't understand, Churchill doesn't understand which, which way to point his hands for V for victory versus you for fuck you yeah um is an incredible moment because gary oldman is fully aware that 30 years ago he played sid vicious uh, and he's collapsing his entire career at these into these two key figures in english history and it's amazing and the i don't think the movie knows it i think oldman knows it mm. and for that i'm kind of happy with him getting every prize in the world just right. because it is someone it's a valedictory performance in a way that Day Lewis's isn't. Day right. Lewis's performance is a valedictory performance because he said he's not going to do anymore. Right, right, right. Uh, it's Which still... I feel like he said before. I get the sense he yeah. always talks about how tired he is. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And of course he is because he spends two years. You, know, you don't have to do this. <laughs> like... you, uh, I mean, I love the result. I think I think his performances are endlessly fascinating. Yeah. I do think that this one is a little too fussy. I know that it's performative that the character is fussy. Yeah. But I think my problem with Phantom Thread is that Paul Thomas Anderson is not pulling the same critical uh, examination of Day-Lewis as he is of the character. And I think there's probably... Critical examination of Day-Lewis? The movie is burrowing into what makes Reynolds Woodcock tick. Yeah. But I don't think it's looking at Daniel Day-Lewis's performance in the same way. It's just in love with it. Right. And I think it needed to be a little more... Uh, it just needs to be tighter. There are scenes yeah. where he fusses on camera for 40 seconds or more, and I'm just sitting there going, you... This isn't necessary. But I think every one of those scenes is always looking back at Alma watching him fuss. And that's the thing. I mean, Not like, until for she me, shows these... up, right? Like that whole oh, first section. Oh, yeah, the first section, yeah, yeah. yeah, is him fussing. But then it's also him being very charming with his clients, and it's him being, you can see see the show he puts on for everyone, right? Yeah. I actually just watched it for the third time last night with Sophia. I finally oh, yeah. took Sophia to take it. Oh, sure, she hadn't seen it. That's she right. hadn't seen it How this whole time, it? yeah. Well, she was like, it's actually funny. Um, so she was, I mean, I think the fact that I coach her, <laughs> She's more ready for it and okay. stuff. Because like, it was funny when um, uh, at the end of the screening, these two women came up to us. And they, like, I mean, did, never met them. And they were just like, what did you guys think of that movie? You know, they were so confused, baffled, right? right? Which is, I think I'm going to have to do a separate pan- Phantom Th- Thread like podcast just to go into oh, why I think, I think you, it's so amazing. You should do it with Sophia. That yeah. Would be <laughs> yeah. But uh, just, I mean, just for like, the, now that it's got all these Oscar nominations, now all these other, like, the wider public is going to start watching oh, it. Oh, yeah, no. And they're going to come out. Right? Like any Oscar nomination uh, buzz, anything that gets yeah. this picture, people suddenly become interested in. Yeah. Which but, is, I mean, going back to those Oscar nominations, that's why I was, so in terms of like, we saw those earlier categories where we, he didn't get nominated and I was like, oh, well, even that, you know, like he could have at least got the production design. Because yeah, I was not. Yeah, Beauty and the Beast. Right, oh, yeah. Isn't that a, I mean, those are the technical categories exactly. where, oh, we spent $200 million. Exactly, yeah. It's like the way the Transformers movies only get sound effects editing yeah. awards because that's where all the work goes. Exactly. But, I mean, but the, here's the thing, though. Now, the second set of nominations where, like, when they announced Best Director, this is where they announced Paul Thomas Anderson. Right. And I, now we were, I was actually on set now with uh, Lainey Lou sitting beside me, Ben's in the other corner, and we're, you know, like a win for us. I was expecting a win in that Best Director category to be Jordan Peele and Greta Gerwig. That's what we were focusing on. We were like, make sure these two are nominated. Don't fuck it up like the Globes did, right? And then they said Paul Thomas Anderson, and I squealed. And (laughs) Lainey turned to me and was like, 
are you okay? Like I didn't, I couldn't collect myself after that because I just, there's no way I was expecting that, yeah, right? That's how I felt for Peel. I was so stunned. I figured. Were you stunned that he I, was nominated? Well, I thought screenplay would be a lock, right? Right. And then everything else was gravy because it's the Oscars. They don't get contemporary. Right. They never have. And maybe this is the beginning of that generational shift. Because mm-hmm. even like as, as, as well known as Jordan Peel is in the industry, he's a TV guy. Yeah. And this was different. And it's... You know, Universal's been been humping it since February about right. real contention and real Oscar chances and real awards. They sent out screeners early. Yeah, they sent them multiple times, as I understand it. I only got I one, got but there two were a few. screeners, a big textbook full of artwork. Uh, I got that yeah. too, which yeah. is gorgeous, gorgeous. Yeah, and he has been tireless in actually talking about what it means. Yeah, which was the other thing that made me think, oh, they're going to get scared. The Academy won't get this. The two biggest surprises for me were that Get Out made it all the way to Best Actor and Best Director. Yeah, uh, picture. I get that. There's a lot of slots to fill. Right. And it's the, you know, it's the Pulp Fiction thing. It's the rebellious explosion from an independent filmmaker within, working kind of within the studio system, but also we don't, like they'll they'll say the nominations are the award. Right, right, they right. They don't have to give it anything. I figured screenplay. Yeah. But uh, the others were like director is fantastic. Director yeah. is the is the point where the academy tells you, and the academy is a collective. It's not one mind. Mm. But you get a sense well, of how specifically are the leading, director's right? branch because they're the ones that are doing the doing the nominations right. right for best director. Right. And when yeah. they sync up with picture, that tells you how seriously the academy thinks of a, of a given title. Yeah. And so McDonough not getting a nomination for best director for three billboards, which I still think is going to win mm. just because after SAG and the Golden Globes, it feels like it has that momentum. Yeah. Um, McDonough not placing and Gerwig and Peel getting in there is stunning to yeah. me. I mean, Gerwig, I guess I'm not surprised. Mm. Um, she's also been connected to the film very vividly, very publicly and yeah. everybody likes her too, but she's also more of a known quantity than Peel. Right. Like this is his first feature. Yeah. Uh, and it's so good. But a lot of people think Lady Bird is her first feature. I know. Well, <laughs> it's like, I mean, like a lot of people, I mean. But she's been in movies for a decade. Like she's a, she, she's a But how many movies that Academy voters pay attention to? If you think about Greta Gerwig's career. Um, like she probably saw, I mean, they've seen the Stillman, they've seen yeah. the Bombback. Maybe they didn't vote for them, but they've yeah. seen them. You think so? Because, oh, I mean, yeah. I don't know if they really Greenberg. do watch all that stuff. Like, yeah, you know, sure. Like... Or at least they have her face on screener boxes. Right, right, right. She's, yeah. she's a known quantity. Yeah. Um, the last... I mean, maybe not for the Arthur remake, but... Yeah. Uh, but, I mean, I feel like Get Out made such a splash when it opened throughout the year, people just talking about it. Like, yeah. I feel like Jordan Peele in that year might have had become a more known quantity just like than Greta Gerwig in her entire career, just because of the way uh, Get Out landed. Sure, and it never know? went away. Yeah, it's exactly. It's been there for a full year. Yeah, Sundance exactly. was like the midnight screening. I think was the night before the. Uh, it was in the New York. No, it was in the L.A. Times piece. The Sundance midnight screening of yeah. it was the night before the Oscar nominations this year. Like right, right. Full one year anniversary. Exactly. A year ago, they brought it to Sundance as an unknown quantity. The next, like, 366 days later, <laughs> it's an Oscar contender. Yeah. Well, and I remember it opened in theaters in public the week, same weekend of the Oscars. Like, it was the the actual Oscar ceremony. Like February so, 20-something, yeah. Yeah, that weekend, it was, so Get Out opens, and I Am Not Your Negro opened here. That's right. And then Moonlight wins Best Picture mm-hmm. at the Oscars. So that was like, I mean, I think uh, one of the comments was, this is the greatest Black History Month ever, or something <laughs> like, it's like, for the, because of those three things happening in that one weekend, the very last weekend of Black History Month, right? So, um, but you mentioned something about the generational shift, Mm -hmm. right, at the Oscars. And this is like, I mean, this is great because yes, we have Jordan Peele in director, we have uh, Greta Gerwig in the director category as well, and I would even say Paul Thomas, having Paul Thomas Anderson in there because in a way he is, like I think, the master of new generation filmmakers. That's my opinion, not necessarily. like like 47 or something? Yeah, Yeah. but I mean, like, he's still like, I mean, I mean, when he came out, he was 20, yeah, like, I mean, uh, but, the other thing about like this new, I mean, first of all, we look at that director category. There's only two white males mm. in the whole category, right? The other, there's Guillermo del Toro and the two, two white males being Paul Thomas Anderson and Christopher Nolan. Right. Um, so that's crazy. God, there's like, nobody know. under over 50. Is that right? That can't be How right. old is Guillermo? He's my age. Yeah. So. That's we'll, we'll look it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah I feel like uh, Nolan and, uh, I mean. Well, Nolan and Paul Thomas Anderson must be around the same age. I think, yeah, I think they're all more or less contemporaries. Yeah. And while you're talking, I will look them up yeah. because this is this is when Jeremy yeah. says to the internet. <laughs> well, here's the thing. So in terms of this generational shift, I'm feeling it 
in so many different places in these nominations. I mean, A, there's also the representation of Mudbound, which is a Netflix movie mm-hmm. that's kind of an industry generational like change. Um, it's having Mary J. Blige get two nominations. I mean, right. that's insane. Which is kind of a surprise for me. I mean, she's very good in the film, but I wouldn't have thought that she'd mm. be the breakout. Yeah, yeah, but no, still, exactly. But like, still, she's very good in the film, so yeah. nice going. Or well, she just campaigned the hardest. Uh, Either oh, is possible, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. that, that does work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When you... When you go above and beyond what the studio is doing. Right. They do tend to register. Guillermo del Toro is 53. Mm-hmm. Christopher Nolan is 47. And Paul Thomas, Paul Anderson's, Thomas Anderson's about there, too. 12. <laughs> Paul Thomas uh, Anderson's 47. Yeah. So, yeah, Guillermo is the oldest at 53, and that's still really striking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These are, these are young punks exactly. this year. I don't know. I mean, Martin McDonough can't be that old. He's probably in his 40s, yeah. mid-40s. But I mean, it's you know. By the way, when the when they announced those director nominations, right? I so I was so like taken aback by the Paul Thomas Anderson nomination. Mm-hmm. I did, like, and I think uh, it was Guy Lodge that mentioned in, this in his Variety article. Like, I didn't even register who got snubbed to make that room, right. and I didn't register that it was Martin McDonough who was the leading. You know, like Three Billboards is a leading contender, or maybe was a leading contender if we use the stat of the lack of a Best Director nomination, right? right? Yeah. Uh, Because I continued on the show talking about, well, the statistics show the three billboards is still the lead, is the one that would win. Not even, like, cluing in that, oh, it's missing this big, gaping nomination. It's not as important as it used to be. I mean, just last year, right? Like uh, Three years ago, Argo? La La Land won... Oh, no, La La Land won Best Director. Oh, one... No, no, but but films winning Best Best Picture without the nomination nomination for Best Director. That's only Argo and was it Ordinary? No, uh... Driving Miss Daisy. Right. There's yeah. a few others. There must be. I I mean, not in the last, like, let's say, 50 years. Wow. Yeah. Um, more, to not well, be nominated. But the, but the award splits very often. Yeah, the award which splits. Is, which is but, a new thing, because it used to always yeah. be hand in hand. Yeah. Um, but this is where, so now this is where this generational thing, I feel is like, it's also getting me excited. Because I feel like we are in a whole new world of Oscar territory in terms of how the uh, awards can play out. And now, I mean, we're talking about the different nominations that look great, but also, like, I mean, this may have started back with Moonlight winning Best Picture last year, which, you know, was huge. I didn't know if it was going to be a sustained change or anything. But Moonlight beat all the odds. And, you know, when I say odds... The thing is, the, you know, someone like me, when I'm analyzing and trying to predict the Oscars, I use all these precursor awards and do it very mathematically. Right. And I say, well, you have to have this, this, and this, and this to win the Best Picture Prize, right? Just by the stats. Uh, certainly, there's exceptions to rules. But, like, Moonlight beat them all because it did not win SAG, the SAG Ensemble Prize. It did not win a DGA. It did not win a PGA. The only thing it won was a WGA. Uh, and it ended up winning Best Picture. So it beat all the odds. And plus, I mean, La La Land just looked like the kind of movie the Oscars would award. And oh, Moonlight yeah. did not look like the kind of movie the Oscars would award, yeah, right? exactly. No, but, when, when Moonlight won screenplay, I thought, well, I guess it started with Best Supporting Actor that year, right? Yes, so exactly. figured, that's great. And then screenplay was like, well, great. Yeah. And then you just figure, that's got to be it. Yeah. Because exactly. it just didn't. And then La La Land had that momentum take over. But then the year before, right, Spotlight won the first and last awards of screenplay and picture mm. and nothing else. No, I know. But that so, year is a weird year. Right. In but, terms of... but that's what I mean. I think every year is a weird year now because but, we have to accept the uh, <laughs> Cohen Brothers line, accept the mystery. Yeah. Uh, that nobody really knows anymore. No, no. Because exactly. you could conceivably catch the catch the moment in a way like that's what moonlight did i think in in addition to almost everybody watching it at home and Mm -hmm. responding to that film in a way that no one expected them to respond to right right. if they had they would have been screening the crap out of it yeah uh they just sent out the discs and it and it worked um it's oh who said mercedes rule said that right when she won for the fisher king thanks for watching the tapes uh, uh, because people missed the Fisher King theatrically, but they caught up to it yeah. on, on the screening on the VHS screeners that they <laughs> sent out at the time. Yeah. You you see a sense of uncertainty now in awards predictions that it's never it used to be so boringly predictable. Yeah, and now there is this possibility that the whole thing will just get flipped over in the last ten seconds. Which is what I feel is, is this generational change, right? And which is what's exciting because I mean, like, I wonder if all these rules that the Academy installed to like change the game, like first they added the ten nominees for Best Picture, then they created the, they added uh, preferential voting, <laughs> then there's this new membership thing to push in about the diversity. I feel like they changed the game enough that now we can approach this and not know anything. Because if you now like, so, say, if I was to use those stats from previous years, right? Um, 
the one stat that worked against La La Land was that it did not have the SAG, on, the SAG Ensemble nomination. Right. And the only movie before uh, that has ever won the SAG Ensemble, well, like, sorry, has ever won Best Picture at the Oscars without the SAG Ensemble nomination was Braveheart. And that was in the first year of SAG. Okay. It's never happened since then. Um, but so there's still some stats that are working, right? And in terms of uh, Spotlight, yeah, it only won two Oscar nominations. But it did win the SAG, and it did win, like, it did have all the key nominations, right? right. So when you look at certain, like, the stats, right? So the like, indicators are that for SAG, because the actors are such a huge branch of the Academy, mm-hmm. that that's part of it, and the DGA, because directors are such a huge Exactly. Part. Well, the indicators is you have to have be nominated in PGA, DGA, SAG. Mm-hmm. You have to have the film editing Oscar nomination. You have to have the best director Oscar nomination. And also, it's really good to have the nomination for best picture at BAFTA. Okay. Now, this year, looking at the lineup, no movie has met all the key ingredients. Okay, like, so basically, Dunkirk and Shape of Water does not have the SAG Ensemble nomination. Wait, Shape of Water didn't? Didn't have the ensemble nomination. Oh, I thought it did. Okay. Yeah, well, let's uh, go Google that real quick to make I, sure. But I'm pretty sure Shape of Water did not have that. Um, and then now, Three Billboards does not. Three Billboards was the only movie that had all the key nominations and stuff until it didn't get nominated for Best Director. So yeah. without the Best Director nomination, I mentioned that it's only Argo and. Uh, Argo and. Uh, what's the movie again? Driving Miss Daisy. I keep. I, I buried that so far in my mind. Yeah. But no, so, no yeah. Lady Bird, uh, Phantom Thread, Get Out, Don't Have Film Editing, which I think is atrocious. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I, I think I could make the argument against Phantom Thread deserving a film editing. <laughs> yeah, but, but that's just me being a jerk. Uh, yeah, apparently the only two SAG nominations were for perform- for performances by Lady Hawkins Bird? and Jenkins for Shape oh, of Water. Oh, yeah, for Shape of Water, really yeah. And me. in terms of the ensemble, uh, like it's, it's only like Lady Bird, Three Billboards, and yeah. Uh, in terms of front runners, yeah, no, and Get Out, yeah, sorry, Get, get Out, out. Right. yeah, yeah. So, and like, well, and then here's the thing: Get Out doesn't have film editing. And how many movies have won the Best Picture prize without the film editing nomination? Yeah. It's just uh, Birdman, which had no editing, right? <laughs> so, like, yeah. I mean, there, uh, and then uh, but something. Editing, well, the other thing too is that the film editing—it's not a win, right? It's just a nomination. Just to be nominated, the, yeah. The joke used to be that it always goes to the longest movie yeah. because imagine how much longer it would have been, right? Um, <laughs> So like JFK wins and stuff like that, yeah. but it's it's for the epic. But I think it's also the style of editing in JFK, right? Like there's if you have to cut a lot of shit. Yeah, and that, like, was, that was before Avid, right? That yeah. was all physical. Yeah, yeah. Well, because I mean, think of Shape of Water. Shape of Water has some bad editing. Bad? Yes. There's scenes. I mean, I literally on my second view, I was like, oh. Uh, Michael Storberg just raised his hand twice because the editor didn't catch that oh, they were God, repeti- really repeating so. a movement in two different shots, right? Yeah. I mean, I think it got, like, it's getting the nomination because it also has some cool editing, like, where, like, in the opening sequence where she's floating in water and it the changes into, like, a shot of her right. sleeping Same. on her bed. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, so, like, getting, like, back to what I was saying, none of these movies have all the ingredients that we've known in the past, which means all of those rules and all that math I used to rely on is thrown out the window, which means that I am totally excited about this year's race because any movie can win, and I actually have hope that maybe Get Out will conquer in this race. I mean, I, I have no hope for Phantom Thread, even though I love it the most. But Yeah, you know, it doesn't seem like it's going to catch fire yeah. anymore, but, but maybe screenplay and, and, uh, and performance yeah. or actor. Leslie Manville winning would be great, but I yeah. think against Laurie Metcalf and Alison Janney, there's no. just no yeah. But, I, but that's I'm, why I'm excited. Yeah, it's a horse race in a way that it hasn't been before. Mm-hmm. And for me, I'm just, I never try to predict because um, on some level, like I'm, I'm just enough of a critic to not, to, to believe that I don't care. Right, right. I'm sure I do. Yeah. Well, you do because, like, well, why do you think you care when the Oscars come along? It's I mean, a fun play. game yeah. more than anything else. Like it's a thought experiment in what people think is going to win. Mm-hmm. I, I can sit back and, and imagine, well, I guess Gary Oldman, who's never won and is the reason that movie is watchable mm. like the the reason it works and flies along instead of clunking the way that joe Wright's movies usually do like yeah. he's just he he can never he can't help himself he's just trying so hard yeah. and i love the idea of joe Wright kicking something in his house really mad when he doesn't get a best director nomination because he shouldn't yeah. but uh, he he believes that he's like it's the same thing with Inaritu. i must show you how great i am <laughs> in every frame yeah or else i have failed you yeah, yeah, and yeah, it's just the egomania of it. And Joe Wright just saying, "Oh, I can, you know, I'm going to make a Dunkirk movie in the same year as Nolan's Dunkirk and Their Finest, mm-hmm. and there's another one too that's a peripheral Dunkirk movie." Is there another one? Just recently, within the last three right, or four right. years, there have been four, this this year there have been three, but there was one more recently. Right. Uh, and 
it's fascinating because they all do sort of comment on one another. Oh, um, uh, the Churchill biopic, which isn't oh, it's, okay. it's post, uh, post-war bio, the one with Brian Cox last year. Yeah. But only Joe Wright would see all these other films going into production and think, oh, you know what? I should do one of those. Because <laughs> that's his thing. Yeah. Um, he made Pride and Prejudice when everybody else was making Jane Austen. And he just, he follows his nose. He follows... Yeah, but Pride and Prejudice was his first movie. Right, but it's the <laughs> one that was right in the middle of all the other yeah, Austens. Yeah. You know, Joe Wright was the first person I ever interviewed. No. And it was for Pride and Prejudice. How that did... was my first interview ever as a student filmmaker for my student publication. How was it? It was, it was amazing because that was a time where you would get half an hour, just you and them. And, and he was here, right? They brought he him was, in. Yeah, they brought him in. And I was like, uh, I, I, I was such a newbie. And I mean, first of all, I had just started writing my reviews in the student paper a couple weeks before so it was all like I hadn't even figured out my review game yet right. and I'm here doing interviews I'm like what's your favorite movie tell me why you know like that kind of shit yeah. right so are, what do we say yeah well like Godfather Part 2 oh, and, okay. and he was like really interesting and I mean I liked him but that was the first lo- that was his first movie right. and that was my first interview so it was like you know it was we were both just like I haven't seen him since and, I, and I'm not a big the biggest fan of his movies since I think he does interesting stuff to movies I don't care about <laughs> in some ways, right? That's a good way to put it. Yeah, but uh, but you know, uh, we were we were talking about why people care, mm-hmm. why what makes you care, right? And I think that like this is where we have to like understand the relationship that the audiences have to the Oscars, because the thing that makes us care is when we have a dog in the fight. Right. You know, it's like yeah, I mean, yeah, I yeah. care now because Get Out and Phantom Thread are in this, and now I'm passionate, right? Uh, and that's probably the way audiences feel when you know if Wonder Woman was nominated when Titanic or, uh, you know, yeah. that's probably, so like, I mean, I think I understand now why audiences typically don't care because they don't, I mean, uh, well, they you haven't know, seen them. Yeah. For the most part, it, it used to be that the Academy was, I mean, it's John Harkins used to say it's an industry award. It's a popularity prize. You, you just have to understand which perception of popularity it's coming from. Yeah. Like it's people who, Hey, that Ben Affleck kid, look, he made a movie. Good for you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, and you know, they're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, but, they're also, those decisions are made from a position that's irrelevant to most of us because we don't work on the films. We don't have, like, I'm way more involved in the Canadian Screen Awards now that people I know are being nominated for things. But right. that's a weird relationship that I probably shouldn't have with them. Yeah. With the, the awards, I mean. It's like Paul Lee winning last year for Kim's Convenience and giving that speech. You know, he's a friend. It's so great to see him being in that position. Right. There, his talent is being recognized. The role is really precise and specific to him. He makes it part of himself. And he turns his win into a statement on the need for diversity right. and compassion and understanding and, and art. Yeah. And it was basically the same thing that uh, everybody's always been saying. But he had that moment at the podium and he seized it and he made a, a beautiful speech. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm sitting at home going, I can't believe he got that. That's so great. <laughs> and with the Oscars, that's what they're like for those guys all the time. Right, they, right, right. I kind of wonder how Mel Gibson got so many wins because everybody knew he was an asshole at the time. When, just had oh, back in Braveheart? Yeah, yeah, yeah. just had come out publicly. But then, you know, you see him nominated for, what, seven awards for Hacksaw Ridge last mm-hmm. year? They are very forgiving in Hollywood yeah. because they probably are all monsters on some level. And like that's where you see people doing emotional things like nominating Plummer for All the Money in the World, yeah. which it's fine. He's, he's, it's a, did you see it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've seen yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's a fine performance. It's, it's not even the most distinctive one in the movie. Yeah, I know. But he is getting the Good Soldier Award because he parachuted in with no prep, yeah. reshot a movie, reshot an entire role, and did it without complaint or fussing. Yeah, yeah. And here he is, and the movie's out, and if the film had been a huge hit, which it wasn't, he would have gotten all the credit for saving it. Right, right, right. So instead, it's like, oh, good for you. <laughs> hey, let's vote for him. And I'm sure he could, you know, he could build a uh, campaign quite successfully out of that. I don't think he's going to win. Right, right, no. But it's a tip of the hat to a job well done. Yeah. And everybody on the outside of that is like, oh, didn't he play that role that Kevin Spacey sort of did? And exactly. Or if they know it at all. Right, right, right. That's the only relationship they have with that with that film and that nomination. Yeah. Uh, we know more about it because we covered it. Yeah. But then the general audience, have, if he wins, they'll have no idea why. Well, I mean, that's part of, I mean, like, this is, like, the ideal purpose for the Oscars for me is to highlight movies that the general audience wouldn't have seen. Mm. Problem is, that's not what they did. That's not what they. Did. I mean, like, what do you mean? That's not what the Oscars do, or that's not what the general audience. I yeah, mean, does the general audience even end up caring to? I mean. There are people who will now, this movie is nominated, and this is why I get excited when Phantom Thread is nominated for Best Picture and Best it, Director. Because people too. Exactly. People will watch this movie, and that's like, uh, and that's what I think is the greatest purpose 
that the Oscars can serve. Because if you think about it, a lot of the movies we love, they have no marketing function otherwise. They have no other, other like general audiences have no inclination to see it. I can't convince my parents to see some of my favorite movies until <laughs> they are Oscar nominated or okay. they win Best Picture, right? So they're waiting for the seal of approval. Exactly. Every And I think that's most people wait for the seal yeah. of approval unless they're going off, you know, like they go see the Marvel movie or the most marketed movies mm-hmm. and then they wait for the seal of approval of the, from the Oscars to take a gambit on a movie they didn't see a TV commercial for until that happened, right? right? So that's my question. What do your parents think the Oscars are? As a body, the Academy. How do they? Do they, they have see no them? clue. Right. They're Nobody just, knows it's who's voting. Just a seal. Right? Yeah, like yeah, exactly. Like they don't. I mean, I think people just have faith that the Oscar is a barometer for good judgment, and they mm-hmm. will go with it. And certainly, so there's the years they're going to disagree. I mean, I know a lot of people were wondering how Hurt Locker won, and I wonder how Crash won. But, um, but I mean, like again, I still think this is why I do care about the Oscars because at their best, they are highlighting movies that deserve it, and at their worst, I'm, I'm when I disagree with them. They're highlighting movies that I'm like, you guys are idiots, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, but um, I mean, in terms of when we knock, like, I mean, I don't know. Do we knock audiences who don't tune in unless Avatar is in the game? I no, I mean, because there's always a billion viewers, right? Like they they are there? They, they throw that that uh, that stat around all the time. This is the most watched entertainment coverage of everything any time ever. Yeah, I don't know, but that that's they, not a huge. Com- there's not they don't have yeah, competition. I mean, we're not. It's not like Super Bowl numbers exactly. But as far as uh, the entertainment industry, it's definitely the most watched telecast. It's all around the world. They keep making a point of that, and people are interested. I don't know that... I mean, I don't know that Avatar fans really rooted for it that hard. But they watched. Did they? The, the, the ratings always go up when a, a movie that like is a really popular... popular yeah, a popular play. hit is competing. They, they, it's like, it, there's a, that direct relationship, right? So, I didn't know that. Which is like kind of almost... Like, people keep... Uh, a lot of people argue... You'll see a lot of editorials where people are like, well, why are the Oscars not ignoring Wonder Woman when it connected to the audience? Why are they ignoring this? Mm-hmm. They're such a, like, a disconnect, right? So every year that there's that disconnect, People whine about the Oscars being that, whereas right. we would be like, yeah, but they're celebrating great movies this time. Yeah, and right. Wonder Woman, you know, superhero movies, it's irrelevant. They don't, they don't take them seriously. They yeah. are not considered to be art. Yeah, but uh, they also don't need it. I, I, you know, honestly, that's true as well. Yeah. yeah, and and that's the thing. Like when when Titanic did get the fourteen nominations, mm-hmm. the record number, the same record number as I think it's Ben Hur and. And is now La La La. Oh, wait, wait. 14 nominations? 14 is the record. There's only um, three. There, I think. La La Land got 14, didn't it? Did it? I'm pretty sure La La Land had 14. Um, did and Lord of the Rings? did Return, Return of the one King? of the Lord of the Rings movies. I think. Yeah. No, I think, no, 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 no. The first one got 14. The first, or, I think it was the first Lord of the Rings that tied mm-hmm. for nominations. Because the second, the last one, Return of the King, mm-hmm. only got nominated for 11, but, but won all 11. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's so, a, by the way, uh, as, a, as a new podcaster, this is the moment where someone on the street is grabbing their headphones and screaming obscenities because we don't know something and they do. Oh. You'll get used to it. But it happens. It's, it's so do of, I cut that part out? No, keep oh, it keep in. It. Yeah, okay. This is part of your evolution. All right. Uh, it's great because there will be some like, I knew that. It's like, good for you. <laughs> keep listening. You, yeah. know, you can feel superior to me we at least once We have a lot of facts to remember. We can't remember them all. No, yeah. God, and we shouldn't have yeah. to. And maybe, you know, Google makes it worse because now you don't even have to retain stuff. Right, you right. Just think about looking it up. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, was it particularly busy the year of Return of the King? Were the, were the stats higher? The ratings higher that year? I think so. Or were people just I mean, tired I, I can't go back and look at all the stats per year to year, but right, I know right. that in general, the like general if rule is if there's yeah, there's a, if there's a popular movie in the game, like a one that audience is connected to, they are watching. In the same way that we are passionate when we have a dog in the. I mean, sure, we watch. Sure. I mean, obviously, me and you watch it every year because it's our job but at the same time there are years where i'm kind of like glancingly watching it with like where i don't give a shit because i know what's gonna win and then there's years like this year i'm gonna be watching it's like please somehow get out win yeah Yeah, i mean and get out was the it wasn't the most successful film of the year but for in terms of return on investment it was Mm -hmm. right yeah absolutely so theoretically it will bring an audience i mean hopefully hopefully it will bring people watching that don't usually because of the cynicism of the oscars only being about rich hollywood movie stars rewarding their own We'll go back to the movies for a second. Because mm-hmm. the way you feel about Phantom Thread, I feel is the way I feel about Shape of Water. Okay. In the sense that I admire aspects to it. I mean, there's scenes where I got into it, but in the end, it didn't come together. So I think there's like, you know, okay. like, I feel, I don't know, like, because like when I look at Shape of Water, like, it really petered up for me at the end. All right. And then at the same time, and I don't, like, I mean, as much as I love, like, 
like some of the like Guillermo del Toro's ability to craft visuals, I don't think he's a great storyteller. Okay. I don't know if you wanted to. So, from from my perspective, that in, the entire movie is building up <clears throat> is building up to that moment where Doug Jones. Fish man. They never give him a name. The, the, the gill man. He's yeah, the yeah. gill man from the creature from the Black Lagoon. That's <laughs> yeah. what they call the creature yeah. at Universal. The gill man. Yeah. The moment where the gill man picks her up and starts walking towards that canal yeah. is the shot that has been in Guillermo del Toro's head since he was six years old and saw the creature from the Black Lagoon because he tells the story all the time. Yeah. Uh, and he was young enough that he thought that the creature was the hero and he didn't understand why everybody was yelling. Yeah. And... If that moment doesn't land, if you don't connect to that moment the way he wants you to, then no, the movie doesn't work. Yeah, I yeah, totally yeah. get that. Uh, I got it. I get what he's doing. I, I, With the exception of, I think, the second Hellboy movie where it just felt like he was showing you all of his scrapbook ideas that he never figured out how to stitch together into yeah. a film, uh, his movies pull on that part of my brain that is that same person. Right. And there's a handful of creators who who speak to me directly. Like, I feel that they work, they're, whatever they're doing. They're Edgar doing Wright has to be one of them. Edgar Wright, yeah. Guillermo del Toro, Dan Harmon, uh, Community and Rick and Morty. Okay. Those, like, those reference points are my reference points. Yeah. And it's not just that they're making the references, it's that the references are working in a specific kind of way. Yeah. Um, I think those are, those guys are guys I will follow anywhere. Yeah. And I won't always love what they do, but they are doing the thing that I love. Yeah. And, I am, like, I am definitely Team Guillermo. Yeah, yeah. Uh, absolutely. But I think, like, I still think I have enough critical distance to know when, you know, like, if something is an overreach or if it doesn't work for right. me. Um, and I just, like, The Shape of Water was one of those things where it is asking you to make a leap really early on. Hmm. And if you aren't on that frequency, then, yeah, it'll just sort of feel like it's petering out for you. Yeah. Uh, I love the idea of the film concentrating on all the characters that uh, would have been ignored in the old Universal days. Like everybody in it is has a dual identity, or is overlooked, or is invisible yeah. in some way. Everybody, but that feels very schematic to me. It, it absolutely yeah. is, but that's what the movie is about. Like it's yeah. engaged with the history of horror films and yeah. how they used to be made and how they're being made now. And right. that's like in Crimson Peak, uh, which I again just like I'm delighted to see a movie where the ghosts like. They're not the bad guys. Right, the right, ghosts right. aren't the villains. The monster in this isn't the villain. Yeah. Guillermo del Toro, ever since Frankenstein, all of that stuff, he likes the idea of the misunderstood creature that if you listen to it, it probably won't kill you. Yeah. And maybe it will be your friend. Yeah. Because he was a lonely kid in Mexico and this was what he did. He yeah. read comic books and he watched monster movies. And as a lonely kid in Toronto, watching reading comic books and watching monster movies, I, I have an affinity for that and I love the way that he has managed to turn it into something really beautiful yeah. and that his films maybe not since the devil's backbone or maybe the first the first hellboy is a really straight genre picture it's yeah. a superhero movie that's really satisfying on a level yeah. but his movies have been moving away from conventional narrative beats yeah. and they cast spells i'm really surprised that the shape of water has, has caught on as well as it has with awards bodies yeah because i'm totally like the 13 nominations are shocking me yeah i was i was and, stunned and, i just watched them sort of count up yeah. really <laughs> Well, here's the thing. It's funny though, because I liked his more conventional movies. Like I, I'm, and and this is another good, great, funny inversion about how you feel about Del Toro, whereas how I feel about Anderson. Right. Because I like his early work up to, I guess, I don't know which one was last, like uh, Devil's Backbone or Blade Two. I don't know which of those. Uh, Blade, Blade Two came late after. Nineties Devil's Backbone is two thousand one. Okay, so so up to Devil's oh, is Backbone right? no. is I think that's his greatest work. They're right around the same time. Right, right? yeah. Like 2001, 2002. Yeah. So, I mean, like, I, I, so that's the thing. I appreciate Guillermo del Toro before he became, before Pan's Labyrinth turned him into a more of a prestige director, mm -hmm. right? Uh, whereas now you like Paul Thomas Anderson the most, I guess, up to Magnolia? No, 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 no. Like, Punch Drunk Love is probably my favorite. Punch Drunk Love, But okay. I really liked Inherent Vice. Okay. And I think the first 65 minutes of The Master are amazing. I just think after that, it's just repeating its points. Right, right, okay. Um, I No, I'll still show up for anything he does. Yeah. I, I think he's a, a legitimate genius. Yeah, it's yeah. just that sometimes the things that interest him are not the things that interest yeah. me. Same way, like it's a weird comparison, but like the stuff that scares James Wan uh, in the Saw movie, the first Saw movie, and The Conjuring and Insidious, I'm not scared of that stuff. Right, and right. I don't care. You know, like, oh, there's a painted guy. Ooh, there's vaudeville. <laughs> I don't care about vaudeville. That doesn't frighten me. Yeah. Um, with... with uh, you know, Magnolia, Punch Drunk Love, and There Will Be Blood. Those are films that 
just barrel towards crescendos uh-huh. and they're incredible because the narrative and the emotion are knitted together in a way that's inextricable they yeah. are the same thing yeah. and then with um with the master right like right up until freddie drives off on the motorcycle i was in the same place it's like this is incredible he's yeah. he's using this guy there's not much movie left after that there's like an hour no it goes when on. he drives off on the motorcycle yeah. there's literally like that's the, half an hour to 20 20 minutes I 25 think, minutes to half an hour after that i think there's more but that's where it ends for me like that's really? where i am no longer interested uh. he got everything he needed he's leaving yeah, yeah and then the rest of it it's just it's not bad yeah but it's not as interesting yeah. it peaks and then it just keeps on going there that natural endpoint, but you can't end the movie there because you won't have a whole movie yeah, yeah. except you kind of do it's just like I, I think that and with Inherent Vice weirdly enough has the perfect ending yeah. it has five of them but each one of them works yeah. I'm okay with it it just keeps going because can you believe this shit is sort of the theme of the film mm. uh, and I and I love all the weirdness of it and I love the fact that he's basically picked up Pynchon's book and is shaking it until the ideas hit you Yeah. Uh, and then with Phantom Thread again there's just I think it just pushes so hard in the direction that he wants to go that I don't care about it. That mm. I get it and I don't need it. Yeah, see, the, and then now, so of course, this um, is what I meant about the inversion because I love, I think The Master, Inherent Vice, and Phantom Thread are his best movies, especially The Master. Okay. Um, but yes, I'm telling you that after the motorcycle, there's only like a half hour of the movie <laughs> left. Okay, or like right, if, if that much, okay? I'll take it. Um, but the thing is, I mean, with Inherent Vice, it's so, it's tragic. Like I, I know yeah, it's like yeah, funny yeah. and weird and everything, but when you like, like when you like, like, and, and this is why I, I must watch it like ten, fifteen times by now because it's just mm. on a loop and it's like, uh, yeah. it's a movie where like there's so many different moods in each scene, but like in like by the end of it, like I like that it lingers at the end because it's just kind of wallowing in all the different emotions yeah, that are going around. You're yeah. watching the hippie '70s movie yeah. die, and <laughs> it's it's sad. It yeah. is. It absolutely is. But it's also black comedy because nobody gets it like it's it's tragically funny yeah uh and that final scene with bigfoot eating well bigfoot's final scene yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, eating the, the marijuana is just like this is probably happening <laughs> but it might just be doc hallucinating yeah. and the film has made that robert altman case where either is equally valid yeah. like, there's no wrong interpretation of what but you're that's seeing. something that you see in the master as well mm-hmm. it's like you know is it like in, yeah, yeah you know think about like so one of the scenes that happens in the master after um he drives off Mm-hmm. is he's in a movie theater and he gets a phone the call. phone call, right? Yeah. Was that imagined? Like, and then, I mean, you, oh, I think it was dream. That was actually a dream sequence where he's, he receives a phone I call. he's semi-conscious anyway, yeah. Well, right? like, but like, I think he said is, says it later when he does meet the master for the last time. He says, I dreamed of, uh, I think he says, I dreamed you called me or something, right? Yeah. So, and the master throughout the movie, you can't tell whether something is a memory or a dream or, yeah. you know, no, like we're, even we're his meetings with Doris. locked into Freddy's head, absolutely. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And so. it's, it's not a bad idea, yeah. but in terms of the emotion of it and in terms of the metaphors, it said everything it had yeah. to say. But see, that's the thing. So your emotional connections to all the stuff Guillermo has, I feel mm-hmm. like, even though I have no personal connection to any of the content that Paul Thomas Anderson puts out there, somehow his movies activate me. Like, those are the movies that emotionally, right. especially, specifically the last few. Yeah. Like, those are the movies that emotionally activate me and get me like, whoa. Like, I mean, there's nobody else that does that yeah. in the same way. And ultimately, that's all that matters, exactly. right? Like, if you, if you respond, it works. Yeah. And it's valid to you. And that's the, like, that's the greatest uh, abyss of, of criticism that we can never fully... I mean, it took me, I don't know, 20 years for people to for me to stop responding to people who said, oh, you hate that? You suck. And it's like, <laughs> no, I just hated it. It's, yeah, yeah. You can like it. It's okay. <laughs> exactly. And that's the thing that Rotten Tomatoes is complicating and ruining in so many ways. The idea that it is all right to have your own opinion. Mm. Uh, and you and I, like we live and die by what we believe mm. and our responses to things are the only truth. Yeah. Right? Because once you start but our responses can change too. Of course. Yeah. But but that's because we are aware that we are changing. Yeah, yeah. And we are like I come back to uh, Lawrence of Arabia every couple of years, and I, the movie isn't any different. Yeah. I am. Yeah, exactly. And I'm picking up different things. Or or uh, John again used to say that every time he watched the rules of the game, he would identify with a different character because he was at a different point in his life. The movie hadn't right. moved at all since 1939. Yeah. Uh, and I find that fascinating because you are your lived experience, and you are bringing all of that baggage to everything you do, mm-hmm. not just movie. Um, well, let's wrap this up. <coughs> so, going into the Oscars then, yes. are you actually rooting for 
you're not rooting for Shape of Water. You're rooting more for Get Out because that I'm is your. I think Get Out. I think Shape of Water. I don't think the. I think in the end it will go sideways and it won't. Maybe take a couple. Yeah. But my real investment is absolutely Jordan Peele for Best Director exactly. because who the hell thought we were going to be here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that that idea of somehow recognizing the film that Oscar, that the Academy could be aware enough, mm-hmm. like you know. I hate myself for saying this, but woke enough. <laughs> no, but it's after the Oscar So Woke campaign. Like, well, just, so white, you mean? Well, no, they oh. tried to counter. Oh, did they really? Yeah, It's like, guys, please stop doing that. Yeah. Um, did they wait? Wait, did, are you being like literal? Like, I did they have there was an a hashtag? To build a hashtag for like an hour. Really? I <laughs> okay. think so. I, I, I vaguely remember because I wrote about it. I riffed on it last year with the nominations. Yeah, yeah. I think, but you know, I didn't expect them to come this far this fast. Yeah, the yeah. fact that they were willing to see what Daniel Kaluuya is doing and nominate him for an acting award, because yeah. he is amazing. No, he is. But and again, it's not, a, it's not, there's not, there's no theatrics to that performance that you could latch on and say, oh, that's great. Yeah, it's, no, it's just attention. an amazing performance. Yeah. It's, a, it's a character who is, somebody was writing about it just yesterday, uh, I can't remember who, but it was a really simple statement. It's like, if you look at him, in every moment, he is playing at least two angles, trying to find the exit, trying to make things okay, yeah. trying to mollify and be a nice person, and also doubt himself all the time right. in that first hour. And then once it once it moves into this is really happening, yeah. you're gonna die. Yeah. Then it's you're scared for him, and that was what Jordan Peele said he wanted to do. Right? Yeah. Like he wanted to make you feel afraid. Uh, the way a black person does when he walks into an all white room, he right. wanted to make that fear not only real, but translate it to a white audience and make you think that this is a thing that is not just happening but legitimate yeah like the tensions are real and that's the thing that you know margaret atwood's famous statement men are afraid women will laugh at them women are afraid that men will kill them right, right, right. there hasn't been a movie that has made that same explicit connection yet yeah. not yet it's yeah. coming i'm sure someone will figure it out but it's always framed as satire it's framed as comedy. Like, what if yeah. the power balance shifted? Can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. How ridiculous. Like, that's where they're always coming from. Jordan Peele realized that if he did it through a horror movie, yeah. not a satire, straight up horror. It is funny, but it's yeah. nervous funny. Yeah, 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 It's not a satire of anything. This is, as he said, like, when they put the, when the Globes put it in comment, uh, comedy or, or musical, he said, it's a documentary. <laughs> he's not wrong. No, well. Um, I mean, he's treating it as though that's the beauty of the the beauty of a great horror film is the concept is one step away from what could happen right, or right. what is happening yeah. um that's why shape of water isn't a horror movie not really i mean it's mm-hmm. so set apart from everything it's stylized and it's lyrical and it's beautiful and it's a storybook fable yeah. that happens to have a monster know, a monster that slashes how did i put it like, you know it bites off a finger and slashes against the same guy he needs a cat and eats a cat, yeah. and and everybody is okay with it, which is so weird. <laughs> yeah. But it's because of the tone, and if you don't accept the tone, you won't connect to the film. Yeah. And I get that's totally fine. Get Out functions as a horror movie. If you know anything about race relations, it's more frightening. But if you don't, it still functions as a horror movie. Yeah, and that's why I think that's why it works uh, universally, because we all understand the tropes of the children of the corn or the wicker man or the outsider story. Yeah. But it's never, we have never had a film that articulates that fear as, oh, no, 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 this guy's an outsider all the time. Yeah. It's just that here he's in immediate physical danger rather than worrying that he'll be in immediate physical danger. Yeah. Like that's, that's why at the very end, when the police car shows up, we think he's going to die and we feel <laughs> that. And it's like, oh, that's, that's his lived truth. Like yeah, That's yeah. his situation anytime a police car shows up. It, it calls you back to that early scene with the state trooper with, and yeah, the deer. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Where there's hostility and like, I remember people were arguing after the fact. It's like, okay, but is she doing that to keep suspicion away? Is the guy in on it? Like, yeah. How many layers are there? Like, no, it doesn't matter. Chris <laughs> is scared, period. Yeah. And he has every right to be. And then when the, when he calls it back with the car coming up at the end, and the I mean, you saw it in the theater the first time, yeah, right? Yeah, like yeah. The release, I think we saw it at the same screen. Yeah. Oh, that's yeah. right. We were there. And the release when Ray, Ron... Oh, when I don't remember the friend's yeah, name. Yeah, when he, yeah, yeah, yeah. we all laughed. when he comes out, but we we laughed. Nervous laugh. The audience exploded. Right. And they were so happy. <laughs> and it's like that's right. This almost never happens. Yeah, there yeah. is an all, the the release, and that that that's Jordan Peele just taking ninety minutes to pull 
people in with him. And so everyone has that release yeah. instead of a few people yeah. because it's so charged with meaning because it's also the empathy machine. Like we are in Chris's head by that point and we are, oh God, it's only going to get worse. And then it doesn't. And it's just, if people respond to that, it could win. It could win everything. It should well, win everything. Hopefully. But I mean, but I mean, the fact that it got the nominee, the key nominations that it got is an amazing sign because yeah. we would not have expected that. No, not at all. Two years ago. Right, yeah. and two years ago, we would have seen the post rack up how many nominations, which is like an amazing contrast. Like Steven Spielberg with this like movie that is like supposedly of this moment. Yeah, and also you know. key to to kind of stroke the egos of people who are old enough to have remembered it the first time, mm -hmm. which is what nostalgic period you know prestige pictures are designed to do, and it's why you can almost never go wrong with one of them for the Oscars. Yeah. And yeah, what did it get? Two, right? It got uh, just for, uh, for Meryl Streep. No, for actor. Lead yeah, actress and, and the best picture. Yeah, Streep and picture. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean, like, the Meryl Streep thing is, I guess, like that being the sole nomination is like, yes, this is the Hillary Clinton movie and that's why we're yeah, But also Meryl Streep just gets nominated. Exactly, like, yeah. That's a thing. That's a box you tick. Yeah. Well, then she should have moved over though. I mean, that is probably the most, the most upsetting category in a neat, diverse year is that best actress category mm -hmm. that there was no, and it's not, because I mean, there wasn't too many lead performances by yeah. women of color. What would you? There wasn't. There, I don't know. I was yeah. trying to think like, of one. They're like, all who in got, supporting. Who got cut? It's not um, unless you just take one of the leads from Girl Strip, which which is, comedy was never going to happen. Yeah, exactly. Right. Support, anyway. I'm surprised Haddish didn't get one for supporting actors. Would, yeah, I mean, I, I wonder if they knew that was year. coming by making her the awesome presenter of the nominations. But yeah. you never know, right? Because yeah. Andy Serkis theoretically breathed could have scored a few. Right. Sorry, but. They were but, trying pretty hard to push that, but yeah. that wasn't going to happen either. <laughs> so, uh, but all right, so we know what we're going for at the Oscars then, right? Yeah. How do so I wrap this up? How do you? Sure. I was going to say, how do you get out of this? You dude? wrap it up. Uh, what I do is I go out on a laugh whenever I can, <laughs> and then I record an outro where I tell people where they can find my guest, where they can find the movie we were talking about, where they okay. can find me. So uh, I'm at uh, Norm Wilner on Twitter. I'm at Norm.Wilner on Instagram. You can yeah. find me on the web at NaturalOno.com. You can also find Rab there. And you can find my podcast at SomeoneElsesMovie.com. You can also find it on iTunes. Uh, where else is it? Google Play Music and that third one I never use, <laughs> Stitcher. Um where it's free and there's like 150 odd of them and they're all fun and you should listen to that but mostly you should listen to Rad who's about to record an outro somehow now. Am I am I recording an outro? I think I was just going to go with your outro. That works too. <laughs> okay, well, this is Rad and Norman Wilner, my colleague at Now Magazine, signing out. Uh, thanks for listening this long. <laughs> um, yeah. And we're I, still going out on a laugh. Bye. I'm figuring this out. We'll see you next time. Hopefully I have I'll have my shit together. We'll see. Go visit, visit, visit www.com.